joined on the Football CFB podcast today by a guest I've been desperate to get on from the start, and that man is is man of former Dunfermline man, former Partick Thistle, St Johnston, Greenock Morton, and a few others. Martin Hardy. Martin, thanks for joining me. No problem, Carl. Thanks for inviting me on the show. I'd like to start by asking you about your current situation. You're you're the number two. It's still in Albion. Was coaching always the aim for you? Unfortunately, we live in the canal in certain times in the regards to the football. So, um, up to that point, until the, the football had stopped, um, we were doing quite well with, with, with the club. Um, we were looking forward to trying to get into that uh, promotion spot this season. In terms of that, as you've just said, when the league paused, you were sitting fifth. In terms of coaching alongside Kevin Rukovic, a former teammate, How's that relationship? You normally hear sort of good cop, bad cop when it comes to managers. Is that the way you two work as well? Yeah, no, I think obviously um, well, I've known Kevin for a long time um, through our, our playing career and, and then obviously we, we had a different paths and once we then retired from football and then we managed to, to come together as a partner at, at Still in Albion. So um, I wouldn't say it's really uh, there's one good cop, bad cop. I think the two is how's uh, I get the, the, the mindset that we both know what we want from from a team. We both know what we want in training, uh, and then hopefully when, once that's delivered, it's up to the players to to then go and uh, put that to fruition on a Saturday. How does the coaching differ to to being a player? Well, when you're a player, you're just um, you're totally single-minded. Uh, you're obviously when your your week starts on a Monday. Um, it's, it's just about getting in uh, training uh, as soon as training's finished then that's you you're, you're off back home uh, back in the next day uh, and that, that'll go on for either four or five days if you're full time or, or two nights when you're, you're part time and then you've obviously got the game on the Saturday as soon as the, as soon as the game is finished on the Saturday uh, you come over reflect on um, your performance as a player but as a coach manager etc then that's that's totally different. Um, as soon as one session's finished, you're then thinking about the next session and what you can do to to benefit um, the team in regards to who you're playing against the following week or um, to benefit the team as a whole, just in terms of that it could be something fitness-related or whatever. Um, and then once that game comes on the Saturday, then you're, you're focusing on uh, the next game um, and who you're going to be playing against. And then so it's... Um, it's totally different from being a player where, as I say, you just rocked up with your boots and you got on with the job. And it's a, it's totally time-consuming, which is good because obviously it stands in, in good in good stead for for kind of the longer run in terms of trying to be in the, the game as a coach, i.e. manager, whatever it may be, and to make a, a career out of it. Because as a player, you can you can have a, anything between a, a fourteen to eighteen year career. And, it's just about you when you get um, you, you become part of a team and then, uh, as I've just before mentioned there, that once training's finished, then that's you. It's, you kind of forgotten what's, what's happened then and you just look forward to the next day. You mentioned the fact that you're really enjoying your time at Stirling, you're enjoying being a number two at the moment. Do you have ambitions to become a manager in your own right in the future or are you happy in the sort of coaching and assistant managerial role? I think um, even 
when I was playing in my kind of mid-30s when I started doing coaching uh, badges. Um, my first uh, my first thought was that uh, when I when I retire, I'm going to become a manager. But that's that's kind of harder um, to do than, than obviously just um, going from one club to another as a player. Um, so I've been on the coaching path for probably six years now. Um, one day, hopefully, that might um, that might be the case that I, I become my own man and, and be a manager myself. But uh, with myself and Kevin working together, and um, somebody that I know, and, and obviously we we've got a good understanding together. So uh, we'll just need to kind of wait and see how how that pans out in, in the long run. Um, uh, because you just don't know what can happen in football. I want to rewind to to you as a player, and before you became a professional, you you played a lot at, at Yoka. I'm interested to ask who were your heroes growing up, and what position did you originally start playing football in? Um, from boys club, obviously, I was uh, I was a midfielder. I played the Clybank boys club right all through kind of secondary. Uh, and then I kind of fell away. Uh, I fell away from football slightly because I think in my my early kind of boys club career that I was I was constant um, in regards to football. It was like I was playing the three teams and was always getting invited out for trials with the United Celtic. And then I I'd spent time down at Manchester United as a kid. Um, so by the time I got to roughly about sixteen, when Generally, players are being offered like um, an apprenticeship, as it was at the time. I'd kind of fell away from it. Um, I took a, a step back from boys club. Sorry, not so much boys club football, but I just dropped down a level, and um, because I wasn't playing as much, um, and then I started to get the, the feel back for it and, and started enjoying football. And then at that point, uh, I joined local juveniles under twenty ones. Um, I played with them for two and a half year and then I was picked up by Queen's Park um, as, a ju- as a juvenile player and went to play with Queen's Park um, in the seniors so that was that was something that um, it was a, I would have loved to have said I was a, an apprentice footballer because everybody that I know who was an apprentice footballer said it was the best time of their life um, so for me when I went to, to Queen's Park it was an opportunity for me to try and, to try and um, become a better footballer first and foremost than what I already was and learn the game and, and from that point little did I know that uh, I would have had an 18 year career uh, throughout In terms of Queen's Park how did that differ to your time at Yoker and, and the step up to the senior ranks was it a big step up was it something that you took a while to adapt to or was it something that came naturally to you? Uh, no, I think it, it came only to me because um, playing juvenile football at that time, you really had to stand up and, and be counted for. Um, it wasn't so much um, as physical as uh, junior football, but then the only difference was that when I went to Queen's Park that these guys had been with probably what you would call their academies and built their way up through 16s. 18s uh, reserve team football, um, and they were they had a really really good base fitness level. Whereas I'd been playing juvenile football, so it took me. I actually missed the first pre-season because um, my holidays had differed from 
the, the traditional football holiday, so I was kind of playing catch-up, but um, once, I got, once I got generally fit enough that I could um, get myself into the first team, I, the ability that I had, which was kind of just natural ability as a midfielder, um, it started to, to help me um, learn again through the experienced players that they had because they did have players that were in their 30s who'd, who'd played a, um, at a good level and also had played in various years in the Scottish League. So that was a good a good learning curve for me at Queen's Park. A good learning curve in a couple of years there. I'm, I'm assuming you reflect on those couple of years really well before you move on to East Stirling? Yeah, well, fortunately for, for myself, but the manager resigned me for Queen's Park, Hugh McCann, who I've got a lot of time and admiration for, for giving me the chance to to sign for Queen's Park. Unfortunately for him, he lost his job in the, in the second year, uh, and then through time, he eventually took up the, the role as he's still a manager, so at the end of my second season, um, I'd made contact um, with Hugh, and, and obviously he wanted to sign me again. Um, which, considering he'd, he'd put a lot of time and effort into uh, coaching me as a player at Queen's Park because I was only 19, 20, um, it was something that I wanted to pursue. Uh, we still in and then, due to the fact that the, when you sign in there, I, I became a first-team regular playing week in, week out, which is which is part for the course. That's what you want to do when you train every week. I mean, it, there wasn't a time at Queen's Park where I wasn't in any of the squads, but... Um, by by moving to East Stirling, this now enabled me to become uh, a proper first team player, albeit it was in it was in League Two at that time. Um, so it was a, it was a good it was a good time to, for me again. It was probably part of my learning curve um, playing with different players again. Um, it was a, as I say, it was a good time. Um, I was started to get extremely fitter than what I was at Queen's Park because of the amount of game time I was getting um, and I was now learning the game um, and playing against better players. How was your time at East Stirling? Was it different to your time at Queen's Park? And I want to know about First Park. Obviously, we, I've seen the video in recent years that it's sadly no longer used and it was abandoned, etc. What was it like playing for East Stirling, especially there? I just got on there. To be fair, um, we uh, we knew that the facilities at the Old Falls Park wasn't wasn't great, but when you train Monday, um, sorry Tuesday and Thursday, it's all about getting to the Saturday and getting your game of football and, and try to help the club from the position that they were in to try and uh, help them improve. Um, now the the budget that, that I can probably think of it now that Hugh McCann had wasn't very good. I would probably go as far to say that because there was there was obviously teams in the in the league that had a wee bit more attendances um, than what we did. But as I say, it didn't matter whether you were playing at Hamden every second week or first part. It was all about um, becoming a better player, and, and that's certainly what happened when I went to Stirling. You played regularly Stirling, and and you were doing really well, and there started to be interest in you. Partick Thistle come calling. Was it a no-brainer to join them, even though they were going through a sort of transitional period at that time? Well, initially, believe it or not, I was actually supposed to sign for Berwick Rangers. Uh, they were in the league and there was only uh, 
six or seven weeks left of the season and they'd made a bid um, to East Stirling, which the club had accepted because they knew I was going to be moving on anyway, I think. Um, and Hugh McCann was no longer at the club uh, at East Stirling. Um, so I, I had primarily uh, decided that I was going to move to, to Berwick Rangers. Um, but upon speaking to the manager and then the, the chairman, um, they informed me that one night a week I would need to find my own training facilities because of the, the locale of playing with Berwick and everybody kind of geographically um, training uh, in Edinburgh uh, at the time. I think it was probably a Thursday night. So, therefore, I spoke to you know, Jerry Collins at Partick Tussle um, and I'd, I'd inquired about uh, training facilities one night a week. Now, when I played for East Stirling, we actually played Partick Tussle in the, the Scottish Cup in the, the late October, sorry, late November. Um, so when I spoke to them and said that I, uh, I had played against them in the Scottish Cup, I think John Marby and Jerry Collins had looked at the video. Um, I was quite astounded when I got the, the phone call a week later to say that they were going to sign me, but I'd rather would I, would I like to sign. Um, but as you say, yeah, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. It was a chance to play for such an established club like Partick Thistle. Um, it was more local, obviously, for me as well. Um, and due to the fact that the club were still, they were still full-time, but they did have uh, six part-time players at the club. So, uh, it was, yeah, it was a no-brainer. Um, it was one that I, I thoroughly enjoyed playing for. In terms of Partick Thistle, it was a spell for you that was and the club that was successful. You were scoring goals as well. What was it like working under the legend John Lambie? You must have some stories about him. I mean, for for considerable amount of years, um, whenever you seen the word of the club party Thistle mentioned, the, the name John Lambie just came with it as such. Um, I'd seen in news articles and uh, in various, obviously, football videos that John Lambie and Patrick Thistle and the type of character he was. And when I went to join the club, um, when I spoke to John on the phone, um, and it was really a, really about uh, training facilities to start with, he said, um, aye, so son, we're, we're just going to sign you. <laughs> and I was a bit taken aback by that. So again, that's, that's just showed you the, the, the man and the man manager that he was that one one phone call, um, and then later on, 24 hours later, I was in, in the office at, at for Hill signing a contract for, for Party Thistle. Now, after that initial period, um, and as I said, when I played for Queen's Park and East Stirling, I was, I was literally more just a, a normal uh, midfielder. Just, I would generally score at least four, five, six uh, goals a season, but when I went to Party Thistle, John utilised my, my ability to get in the box and, and get on the end of crosses. So it's something that my game had changed um, for the better, I may add, um, because at that point in time, we did have um, vastly experienced players playing for the club. Um, and it wasn't until the, the, initially when I first signed the next full season, um, the, the calibre of player that we did have at the team was was of a, 
a very good stand-up. Um, so for me, it was just about um, learning for these players um, because I was still only 24 at the time, still learning the game. Um, but as time went on, I gradually started to, to become more fitter again um, because the majority of the players were full-time um, and we played with these players that, had, that were far more experienced than me and then became a better player myself. You win back-to-back promotions at the club, which is such an incredible achievement. When in those sort of two years, was the confidence level just through the through the roof in the sense that you thought you could win every single game you went into? Yeah, I think especially in the lead up to the I would probably say the Christmas period when we won the second division, um, because we did have the nucleus of our squad were full time that we were. The, the best side in the league and, and we knew that come January, February, March um, when we went into the, those three months we knew that we were going to eventually win the league because we had a, we had a gap between ourselves and the other teams that were in that league um, who were close by but I think all in all I think we must have won the league probably by maybe 10, 12, 14 points I think um, the, the season after that's when that's when I made the jump from uh, part-time football to full-time football, which was, for me, um, at the time, was was something that I'd been looking forward to because I knew that there were offers before I actually moved to Partick Tussle to go and train the teams who were full-time. So I knew it was something, hopefully, if I continued doing what I was doing, um, that this would happen. And fortunately for myself, it, it happened at Partick Tussle. So... Uh, I've got a lot to thank John Mann before, and especially, <clears throat> excuse me, especially that season when we went up because there was there was a lot of real, real good teams in the, the first division then, um, and it's it's one that when we went up into the, the division we felt if we managed to stay mid table and, and remain in the league it will be a good season for us now. Can I come? September, October, we're sitting, I think we were sitting second at the time, and the way the, the months ahead kind of prolonged it, we eventually, we, we eventually got taught and we could and flowed between ourselves and a very good every team. Um, but again, the quality that we had in our, in our team enabled us to, to go and win the league that year, which um, was an incredible feat considering, as you, as you have mentioned, that um, the, the the season that we won the, the second division and the, the first division now all of a sudden we're looking ahead to going and playing in the Premier League In terms of that team that was successful for those two years and, and, and a wee bit longer as well you had some big characters you had obviously Alan Archibald, Stephen Cragen Danny Lennon Jerry Britton, to name a few. What was that dressing room like? Was it a really confident dressing room? Because the guys I've mentioned there, including yourself, have had some careers in the game. Well, I mean, just the, the, the guys that you've mentioned there, I think, um, are, are really, really, really good footballers. Really, really good guys. Um, and at the time, obviously, we were, we were a group who were, we were all roughly between maybe about a four or five year age gap um, so we did socialise um, quite a lot to be fair 
um, with each other, um, which was good for team morale. Um, but I think most importantly uh, uh, for the for the team was that when when we trained, we trained really, really, really hard. I mean, some of the stuff that we do, um, sorry, some of the stuff that we we done with John Lambie um, in terms of running uh, with football. I think a lot of players in this day and age would have packed up bags and, and left the club. Um, but for us, uh, it's something that a lot of the players hold hold dear to their, their uh, coaching ability that we see things that are now coming round about and obviously what we be John and Jerry at the time, I mean it was hard. Um, there was a lot of characters in the dressing room and, and don't get me wrong, I mean we, we did have we did have some laugh in the in the dressing room. There was, there was obviously players there that, that you've not mentioned that were absolute characters. Um, and as I say it's um, it's something that any time any of the, the players that um, who played in that team, if we if we do meet up to be fair, I'm still very very friendly we are Archibald um, from our time at Party Thistle um, but it's, it's always stuff that we we look over and chat about and remember the, the fun times about the trips away and um, love trips and stuff like that but ultimately um, the, the Monday to Friday stuff was obviously the hard work and you're just rewards um, come the Saturday Saturday evening I'm interested to ask you, having played with Partick, second division, getting the promotion to the first and then playing in the Premier League, see when you go up a league, do, do, does the quality level rise? or, or Because obviously I'm just a football fan, so I've never played the game, so I don't know that aspect of it. Is the quality level, does it go up considerably or is that maybe something that as fans we overestimate? I think it's probably something a lot of fans... Um underestimate the fact that you could be playing in uh, the first division which is now uh, which is now the championship or you could be playing in League One which is now Division Two um, sorry which was Division Two so obviously the, the fitness level goes up the technical ability goes up uh, and then when you eventually get to the, the Premier League which it was at that time the standard in the Premier League at that time was was pretty scary to be fair. Um, when you look at the the Celtic and Rangers teams um, that we played against, uh, it was internationals all over each team. Even some of the subs um, that they had in their team were all internationals. Um, you had the likes of Kilmarnock, where uh, they finished fourth that year. Uh, Hearts, Hubs, phenomenal teams. Um, under Craig Levine, Bobby Williamson, the United were flying under Ian McCall as well. So the calibre of player at that time, um, for me, was was of real high, high quality. I mean, I can remember the first time we played Celtic with Partick Thistle. Um, the Celtic midfield that day was Paul Lambert, Neil Lennon, Alan Thompson and Stylian Petrov. Wow. Um, which was, which was, I think it's um, when you think about that, that day four players now, it's it's something that um, would probably take some fans aback when you, when you watch the the team. So, I think for fans, um, as you you were asking about there, I think for for anybody watching your team come up through the league, you've got to have a realization that although you're watching your team, the caliber of a player and the team that you're you're going to play against has now risen each year 
as it did um, when we were at Partick Thistle. You mentioned that Celtic midfield. Who are the sort of toughest opponents you came up against directly in midfield during your time at Partick Thistle going through the various levels? Who was the... Can you repeat that question again, Callum? Sorry, so... And you've played, obviously, in that spell we talked about, Partick Thistle coming through the divisions. Who were the toughest opponents you came uh-huh. up up against directly in midfield? Oh, directly in midfield, the toughest, yeah. Um, well, he was the first name that I mentioned when I spoke about the Celtic team was, was Paul Lambert. Yeah. Um, I can remember, obviously, watching Paul Lambert through his career, um, especially when he was at uh, Borussia Dortmund because he was a Scottish player then. Uh, and then he got his move to, to Celtic uh, two or three years before I'd actually played against him. So uh, come the time that I, I did play against him, I mean, the guy was different class. Um, his movement, his decision-making was probably two steps ahead of where I was in relation to my time at Partick Thistle and um, trying to get close to him. Um, and his ability on the ball was second to none. Um, now, what you've got to remember here is he, he was an international player. He was a Champions League winner. Yep. Um, and you're trying to do your best um, up against him. So I would I would go as far to say that Paul Lambert was, and not just that season, uh, the following season as well, um, and his time at Celtic was probably the hardest player that I'd, I'd played against. In terms of Partick Thistle, it was in the... Top flight, it was obviously more difficult for the club, as, as you would expect, considering the promotions had come quite quickly. And at the end of that season, you, 2003, you decided to leave the club for Kilmarnock. Was there other teams interested in you, and why did you choose Kilmarnock? There were actually two or three teams interested on an initial period. Um, I think because, not just myself, but there was five or six um, all was all out of contract in the summer. I think with the the performances that they put in, um, Al Archibald, Scott Patterson went to Dundee United, uh, Stevie Craig and Alex Burns went to Motherwell, and I decided to go to Kilmarnock. The the before the, the teams that were um, that were had shown slight interest were Hearts, Hibs, and Kilmarnock. But at the end of the day, Kilmarnock had had um, put the the offer um, in front of me um, at the end of that season, um, and I decided to to choose to choose to go to Kilmarnock. Um, so and that was that was obviously part of um, the Partick Thistle squad all breaking up. Um, and we, the majority of the players all moving on. I felt it was probably time for myself to to move on. Um, and as I say, I joined Kilmarnock. In terms of Kilmarnock under. Jim Jeffries, how did that differ to life at Partick Thistle? It wasn't a, it wasn't a much different to be fair because um, Jim and Jim and John were were quite similar uh, in regards to management and their man management and, and what they wanted out of, out of a player and, and what his what load and what mate would it, would have to be for you to remain in that team now. Um, when I did go to Kilmarnock, um, there was a caliber of player there that had played in the, the Premier League um, for different teams, um, and the standard was very good when I went there. Um, 
unfortunately for my for myself that I'd picked up um, a, a calf injury at the club um, playing against Motherwell. I think it was only about the third or fourth game of the season, um, which seen me spend stuff about I think I was about six weeks on the sidelines, so it was harder for me to get back in the team. Um, eventually got myself back in the team. Um, there was a couple of times when I felt as if I was ready to kick on because when we'd, we'd been abroad um, for my pre-season, I'd come back really, really fit. Um, probably the fittest I'd been um, because we, we went to Italy and we'd done high-altitude training at uh, a base called Il Choco in France. Um, but I had a niggling groin injury that was underlying, I think, probably from the year before we parted Thistle. Um, and again, um, through... To obviously try to push myself that much and, and not taking the decision to to come out, and the groin injury started to get to get worse and started to deteriorate, which was affecting my performances uh, with the club. And then I think it was roughly around um, about the time of January um, that I, my body had actually just broke down, so it kind of curtailed my time uh, playing with Kumar. Um, I never kicked another ball for them. In between January, I think it was probably in the middle of January to the end of this end of the season anyway, um, and it was something that I knew because of the severity of it. In terms of Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown, they're they're known as being quite old school and quite fierce. Is that the way they were at half time or full time if the team had got beaten or was losing? Yeah, I think um, anytime you anytime you you hear uh, Jim and uh, Jim and Billy's name. Getting mentioned, I think it's it's all about the man management and about about how scary Jim uh, can be if he went on and on and all that. But um, there was a few times, obviously, we, we let ourselves down in a cup game and we played breaking away. Um, and I think everybody obviously get the full the full um, vocal from Jim that night and Paul to be fair, uh, and rightly so. Um, but no, first and foremost, they were they were very good. Um, man, man, man managers uh, and coaches uh, Billy used to take the training every day the, the training was of a real good tempo real good standard um, expectations were, were asked of you you had to step up um, because there was there was obviously no room for error um, when you played under Jim um, as, as I say I see him now and he's, he's through Edinburgh City and uh, still talk about him um, I probably wish I'd have done better at Kilmarnock um, in my time there but unfortunately as I say the, the groin injury was just getting worse and worse um, and my body just kind of packed in um, at that stage in, in January A few characters from your time at Kilmarnock I want to ask you about first of all Gary Locke seems like the sort of guy that wears his, his heart in his sleeve is that the way he is in the dressing room all the time? Yeah um, Locke was, was obviously a vital part of the Kilmarnock squad um, that year um, he'd obviously played under Jim and Billy for, for a considerable amount of time um, on, at Hearts and then Bradford and then he'd obviously went to Kilmarnock with him um, but probably I would probably say the, the player that um, I really took to and enjoyed playing with uh, in my time at Kilmarnock was Stevie Fulton he was he was an unbelievable guy an unbelievable guy in the dressing room um, but first and foremost, what an outstanding football player uh, Stevie Fulton was. Um, a lot of the kind of 
players at, the, at that time knew that Fulte had, had, had made a, a great career for himself, I think. At that time, he was maybe coming to the, the twilight end of his career, but um, you could see his ability and his left foot and the way he, he actually got about the part as much as as much as people um, will probably think uh, uh, felt we maybe not being the fittest, but let me tell you, when he did actually get about the part, he could get about the part and dominate games um, with his ability on the ball. Two of the guys coming through in Kilmarnock at that time, Chris Boyd and Stephen Naismith. How good were they at that young age? Firstly, I think uh, Chris Boyd was, I think Boyd was 1920 and he was already training with the with the first team um, day in day out, he was a, he was a, a first team regular. Um, more to the point, um, and you could see what a fantastic finisher uh, Boydie was um, in training. I mean, uh, you, you don't actually realise um, until you train with, with players that how good they are in terms of uh, their technical ability. And I when you speak about Stevie Fulton's technical ability on the on the ball, he's left out. And you see Boydie. Um, in training that he just wanted to score goals and, and that's what he was he was superb and he was superb at it and a lot of people had to had to do the donkey work for Boyd to get into his positions which he loved and as long as Boyd was scoring goals he was happy um, and at the, at the time uh, Stevie Naismith he was he was making his way through for the 19s he was not part of the the, the first team at that point but you could see um, from the reserve games that Nasey was going to be a terrific player when he eventually got into the first team. See, because of your injury, injury kind of hit spell at Kilmarnock, your next move is to former title rivals Airdrie, funnily enough. Was was the move to Airdrie for you just a case of getting back to a standard where you were you were guaranteed to play games every week to get your fitness and match sharpness back? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think when I was released by Kilmarnock, um, it, it didn't really come as a shock because I, I hadn't played something like the last 12 or 14 games. Um, so right through the full pre-season, I still wasn't fit um, because of the severity of the injury. Um, so I, I kind of got to roughly about the, the July stage without a club. Um, and Sandy Stewart was the manager there, um, who I was, I was a teammate of Patrick Thistle when we won the, the second division plus a new kind of I would probably say about 50% of the squad having played against them um, so for me yeah it was definitely in the case of finding another club um, enough that it would allow me to train day in day out um, and then try and force my way into the, the starting 11 and, and playing a Saturday again Your time at Airdrie was again You've had you've had plenty of really good times in your career, which is which is amazing to see. You you played lots of games there. You were playing well, and again after your your sort of two seasons there, interest starts to come in from other clubs. How do you reflect in that spell at Airdrie for for helping you reinvigorate your career? I think um, on a personal note, I think it was it was uh, probably frustrating for me because the fact that uh, I had. I'd worked so hard in terms of my time at Partick Thistle and partially for uh, half the season come up to try and establish myself um, as a Premier League player that unfortunately due to injury I've had to take a step back my fitness wasn't up to scratch until 
probably say October, November, so then you're, I was always chasing my tail, Airdrie, um, but I thoroughly enjoyed playing with the players and, and the manager that they did have at the time. Um, unfortunately for us, we were up against um, some really good teams, uh, John Hughes' Falkirk uh, that year, but outstanding. I mean, they, they did. They were probably a Premier League club, and, and rightly so, because of the, the calibre of the player they had, and they eventually won the league and went up. Um, so again, the year after that, um, we've, we've went into the season, um, and we're hoping to, to try and make strides again, but unfortunately due to kind of, uh, the budget that Sandy had and uh, the kind of calibre of player that he was allowed to kind of try and bring in the, the, in relation to his budget that we couldn't really push. We felt was afraid probably a chance um, that season that we could maybe we could maybe push for something uh, in the first division. But again, there was there was obviously teams with a, a better budget than us. And then on the whole, Don Coyle leaves the club. He goes to take up the, the St. Johnson manager's position. Was the fact that you mentioned Owen Coyle going to St. Johnson, was that a big reason for you deciding to go to St. Johnson because he was clearly interested in you? I think um, at that point when I mentioned the, the clubs that had a better budget and better players, St. Johnson was one of them. And you could tell the fact that um, we were actually playing against um, St. Johnson that year, albeit Owen Coyle was now the manager of the team. And you could tell that... Um, they had some really, really good players on their side. Um, so when, when the club had made um, the approach for me in the January transfer window, um, having spoken to Owen Coyle about the club and about where they would want to take it, I felt now was the right time for me um, to move um, from Airdrie uh, towards St. Johnson um, because they were, they were really, really wanting to make a push um, for the Premier League. You mentioned the, the the push for the Premier League when you go to St Johnston, the big rivalry over you over the the piece there it was really with Gretna who were spending an awful lot of money at that time as we all know. Describe the rivalry with Gretna throughout your time there because so many of the title races were nip and tuck. They eventually put you to the post and then rightfully I would argue uh, you you get there yourselves in your own merit a year or so later. Yeah, no, that season obviously. Um... With um, Gretna, as, as everybody knows, have been flinging um, considerable amounts of money at players um, out with their, out with their, their kind of general budget that they, they had. Um, so for us, it was just about being as, as professional because in that season we felt we had the best team in the league. Now, a lot of the a lot of the decisions that um, Gretna were getting for them it was due to a bit of luck I must say um, because uh, they had that they had a calibre a player there that they bought that were on vast amounts of money that, um, that we couldn't match now one thing about our St Johnson team was that we were a right good side um, and in fact that year we'd actually called back I think it was a 15 point lead that Gretna had and we took it into the the last day of the season. Now, when you know, in relation to that season, we'd managed to get to the League Cup semi-final that year as a first division team, and we'd managed to get to the Scottish Cup semi-final that year as a first division team. So, 
we played a lot of games um, that year in terms of cup football and especially catching up. Um, we played midweek games um, in the lead up to the kind of the business end of the season. And at the end of the season, obviously, Gretna had won the league and they'd won it because they had more points than us uh, on the board. But we felt um, we felt uh, uh, they put an awful lot of effort into it and for for us to be sitting in the dressing room. Uh, the final game of the season, top of the league, with probably 90 seconds to go, and, and then getting a score in the last uh, the last 90 seconds was was pretty hard to take for us as a whole. But um, looking on it, it was an incredible season. Um, on coil had with the club, and um, after that, obviously, Bromley uh, come calling for for Old Coil, and, and then Derek McKenna steps up. Um, as, as a player coach to, to be the manager. In terms of Owen Coyle, you mentioned the fact that he, he was good for you, he was he was a manager who was making his way in the game. Owen Coyle ultimately leaves the club, um, but, but but he was successful in his time there, the Challenge Cup win as well. Um, were you sad to see him go ultimately in the end? Uh, yeah, I think... Um, Obviously, in relation to the Challenge Cup, uh, Owen had left, uh, the gaffer had left, literally, I think it was five days before, so Sandy Stewart actually took the team for the Challenge Cup final. The, um, in my time at, at St. Johnson, um, one thing that I did get, uh, I get the hunger um, to go and win a Premier uh, to go and win a, a league title again, played under one coil. Um, I, I then became became much more fitter in relation um, to what I had been at um, Airdrie and that was due to the fact that we had better facilities uh, at the club um, which was paramount at the time and, and obviously as I say the, the fitness level started to get better and the strength and conditioning got better as well so that, that played its part in how how well I actually did in that year that um, we got to two semi-finals and um, the Obviously, that that season alone, um, I think I'd scored 15 goals for midfield, um, which was something I hadn't done since uh, my second year at Partick Thistle. So I could I could see that I was getting um, far stronger, and obviously my I was coming to fruition in under own coil. And then, as as we've said there, that um, he leaves to go to Burnley, and Derek McInnes takes over. What was Derek McInnes like at that stage of his career? Because he's had some managerial career as it is. It's absolutely phenomenal when you when you look at it over the piece. Well, when you at the time me and Derek were playing uh, central midfield when Derek was still playing, and uh, at the time Derek was doing his coaching badges, and you just knew when you when you play with somebody that um, they've got a, a real drive and a real persona that that's that's what they're going to. That's what they're going to eventually end up doing, and, and luckily that um, uh, Jeff Brown, the chairman, had gave Derek the chance um, to become the manager of St Johnson, and, and Derek took it. He took it on his stride, and he brought in Tony Dock, the, the coach, who met at United, who was an extremely um, a very very good coach within uh, Tony Dock, um, and the two of them just gelled, and I think what happened. Um, 
when Derek initially took over the, the team in the, I think it was late November or the first week in December that it took it took its time for Derek um, to actually get a grip hold of the players that he wanted to keep within the team because he still had um, players there so obviously the season that we started pre-season that year um, so it wasn't until the pre-season again the following year so Derek's roughly six months into his time as a manager that he started to get his own players in um, and then you could see that obviously we were going to make a we were going to make a challenge for the league uh, that year Your time at St Johnston again we talked about the successful nature of it before we talk about what it was like to win the title, you got to a, a fair few semi-finals, Scottish Cup semi against Celtic and a semi against Rangers as well. Just how how big occasions are, are semi-finals in National Cup competitions? Well, when you get to a semi-final, I mean, you know you're only 90 minutes uh, victory away for getting to, to the National Stadium to, to, play in a, to play in a cup competition. Um, and for us, we'd then we played against Hibs in the League Cup semi. We played against Celtic in the League Cup semi under Owen Coyle. We then got to the semi-final against Rangers um, in Derek's first year. We then get to play against them again the, the following year. And then in my last year at St Johnson, I think we played against them in the League Cup semi-final again. So for us at the time, getting to semi-finals was probably hit this part for the course because we'd been used to it. And we knew that, obviously, hopefully, um, we might be able to, to overcome that semi-final hurdle. And, um, I mean, we take we take Rangers to, to penalties. And unfortunately for us, um, they, they were vastly, vastly kind of, we were dead in our feet, I would probably say, when we got to the penalties. Um, but, I mean, um, the, the hard work and the, the preparation throughout that whole season dramatically changed um, working under Derek, um, a lot more tactical um, in relation to our, our training performances, um, the the level of off the park as well has been up in terms of just, uh, probably doing a lot more gym work together. So Derek had made a lot of changes um, for us to, to go forward as a group and as I say, come the end of that season, we eventually win the league and Lo and behold, you've got another title, championship medal in your, in your locker again, um, and then you're going to be playing in the, the Premier League. In terms of winning that title that season, just describe that season for me in terms of just how good it was. I think we broke the, the longest um, record of undefeated uh, performances that year for St Johnson. So we knew, we knew that season that uh, we had players in our team that, um, that, that were, some of some of us had played in the Premier League. Um, we were, we showed a real desire um, as a group to get back to that stage where a lot of us felt that we could play at. Um, when you talk about uh, some of the players, Paul Sheehan, Jason Scotland, Stephen Mills, Peter McDonald, um, like Kevin James, Al McManus. Um, were players who had all had a, a taste of, of playing in the Premier League and this was something for us that we knew um, throughout that course of the season that we would eventually um, we would eventually get there. We, I think we, we managed to win the game with, 
uh, win the season with two games to go. Um, but again, throughout that throughout that season, there was there was um, extremely good teams in the league. Uh, Dundee, Partick, Thistle, um, and it's something that um, for us, when we eventually won the won the league, um, it was something that we we took with both hands. Who? What was Jody Morris like when he came to St Johnson? Because it raised fair, a fair few eyebrows when when he came up to Scotland. And although he was a bit older, he, the times I got to watch him live, I thought he was absolutely superb. Well, obviously, it goes to show that um, the contacts um, that Derek McInnes had that through playing at Millwall um, with Jody, because we tried to sign him six months before uh, we actually did sign Derek McInnes, and then. He eventually went to Millwall under Nigel Spikeman with his with his mate Jody. And, um, once um, once Derek brought Jody up to the club, um, once you once you, again when you start training with players, you realise um, how much quality um, these players do have. And you see it on a, a day-to-day basis, whereas Princeton fans are maybe not, they're only getting to see what you see in a Saturday in a game. So when Jody came up, I mean. It was a breath of fresh air for them, for the lads, and I think um, him coming up to Scotland was a breath of fresh air for Jodie as well. Um, I mean, you could see right from the off, his quality was, was fantastic. Probably just had to, to get up to speed with the difference between um, playing in the, the first division, i.e. the championship, as it is now in Scotland. Um, but the, the tempo was probably a lot more kind of Route one, not not so much route one as such, but it was a lot faster. And Jody just had to kind of adapt to that because he'd he'd been playing in leagues that were were far better than ours um, in terms of the quality of player that he played with. Um, so when he came to that uh, and side, you could see that his qualities were there. He just needed to get up to speed in terms of fitness. Um, and when he got that, I mean the ability that he showed on the ball was second to none. A successful spell, another couple of trophies in the bag as we talked about. The club gets promoted to the top flight. You have a loan spell at Partick Thistle before then joining Dunfermline. How did the move to Dunfermline come about? Well, during that season, um, first and Johnson had, had suffered a, a horrific knee injury. Uh, I ruptured my medial, my cruciate, and I had a tibia fracture of my, my tibia by 25 now um, so I had two operations um, in the one season and then I then returned and um, went on one to Partick Tussle as you, as you say to get my fitness back up and when I was playing for Partick Tussle um, the operation that formed my cruciate it took it back from my, my right patella at the front of the knee um, so there was a weakness there unbeknown to myself um, and I had a hairline fracture on my, my right kneecap. Um, so I was going to be out for eight weeks and I'd, I'd only signed a, a short-term contract for the club. Um, and it was, I only had eight weeks remaining. So therefore, uh, I knew at the end of that time my, my time at St. Johnson, St. Johnson was going to be up. And that's only great um, that I have with the initial knee injuries that I had that I never got to play for the club again. Um, I then became a free agent and I was working off my own back, uh, just in the gym constantly trying to get fit, which would enable me to go and train with a, train with a, a team. Um, during my entire um, to a, 
was a manager that I knew well. Um, I'd played against him. Um, uh, he phoned me and asked me how my fitness is. Um, and I'm, I'm letting him know that obviously I'm fit, I'm ready to go. I just need to get up to kind of training facilities um, fitness-wise. Um, the gym offered me that chance. I went on to Dunfermline for three, four weeks uh, to get my fitness up. And then after that three, four weeks, uh, I initially played a bounce game uh, against Celtic up at Lennox Town. Um, and then after that, I was I was offered a, a short-term contract um, to the end of the season. In terms of Dunfermline, another season and another league title for you. You scored some goals that season which were influential in the club winning the title. Just describe that season for me because it seems that when you played, especially in that first division, most of the teams you played for either won the league or challenged, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, again, um, when, I, when I, I joined Dunfermline, they were a club uh, pretty similar to my time at St Johnson had had a, a vast um a vast array of players who'd played in the Premier League. Um, they were just almost on the cusp of, of winning promotion um, in various seasons beforehand. Um, and then when I was given the opportunity to join myself, Kim Richvich, Lee McCannon in that transfer window, I think that pushed the club forward um, in relation to the the, the position that they were in in the league, I think they were sitting second. Uh, they throw balls were up at the top of the league. Um, there was only 12 games of that season uh, left to play. Um, and within that, within that season, I'd managed to score eight goals in 12 games for the club uh, for the midfield. So that enabled us to go and, to go and win uh, the, the championship that year. Again, um, and another chance to get another medal under your belt, which is great because at the end of the day, um, you want to look back in your career um, and and see what you've actually won as a player. So this is now my, my third, uh, first division uh, championship medal, along with a, a second division. So um, for us uh, and the players at the, the club that time, some of the players, the young players, they they'd obviously just won the, the first. Um, the first ever first division um, championship medal, and, and when you actually play for a club the size of the size of Dunfermline, you realise how big a club it is. I mean, we were getting um, between four, four and a half thousand fans uh, that season, um, and then lo and behold, obviously when we go to play Dunfermline, uh, sorry, when we go to play at home in Dunfermline against Raith Rovers, we'll get a sellout crowd of eleven thousand that day. So. Um, it was a fantastic time um, for the club that season. What was Jim McIntyre like to work with? Because he's another one who's had a decent managerial career so far. Yeah, as I say, Jim was a player um, that I played against. I knew him personally. Uh, and he's like the manager. I knew the assistant manager, Jeremy McCabe, as well. Uh, I knew that they were a, a fine partnership um, together. Um, every day... Um, we went into training, it was a real high tempo. Training was good. Um, wasn't much of a difference between uh, McKinnon's training and Jim's training. Um, so it was, uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't a great bummer for me leaving St Johnson in terms of uh, everything that, I, that, that Jim had put on in, in 
listen to the, the training and what he wanted the club to, to be like and what he wanted to obviously with the camaraderie and the, the dressing room, the sense to done uh, with the players in, in that dressing room. And, and I think that it goes a long way to the fact that when you are playing in a, a championship team that sometimes the camaraderie and the, the players that you have in your dressing room can go a long way for you to push and, and to become champions of the, the division. With the club going up, why did you ultimately... Was it you or the club that decided to, to move on after that successful season? Uh, no, actually, I stayed for another year um, in, the, in the Premier League. Um, and at the end of that season, or sorry, halfway through that season, um, Jim McIntyre lost his position, unfortunately, because we were, we were at the bottom of the league. Um, the... They weren't doing probably as well as we should have with a lot of injuries that year um, to key players, to key personnel. Um, and unfortunately for Jim, he, he lost his job that, um, that specific time. And then all the whole mall manager, Jim Jeffries, comes in and um, he takes it towards the end of the season. Um, but it just wasn't enough um, for us to stay up. I mean, we eventually go to play, play Hampton, a, a kind of a shootout game. Uh, Easter Road and uh, as I say we just didn't have enough in the locker that year um, to keep us up um, and then at the end of the season uh, the club have got to make the decision um, who's staying and who's not going um, who's going to be staying at the club and, um, and Jim decided to go away with a group of players that he felt he was going to work with You make the move to Morton and I should say before we start, Morton's my, my hometown club. I've had a season ticket multiple times over the years. And, and when you joined the club, I, I just remember thinking, what a great signing that is. Um, because you'd been there, you'd done it, you had you'd won promotions before, you'd been the linchpin in a midfield before. How did the move to Morton come about? And was Alan Moore a big factor? Because what a character he is. Well, obviously, again, Alan Moore was a, a former teammate at nine at at Parfit Circle when uh, we were in the second division. So I, I know that Alan had made his way into the coaching path still in Albion um, and then made his way to Morton. So um, lo and behold, um, when I actually left Kilmarnock, uh, John McCormick tried to sign me for Morton um, when I was leaving Kilmarnock, but at the time they were in the third division. Um, and I think at the time he'd offered me something about like a four-year deal, which... Um, for me to drop at that point from the Premier League to the third division and then try and make your way back up, you were probably going to only end up back in the, the Championship. Um, so long ago. Um, so when I, when I did get released from, from Fairland, um, when I spoke to Alan Moore, obviously he was trying to get a, a group of players together that would benefit the club because um, the club had been in the lower half of the, the Championship um, up until the point where Alan decided that he needed a wee bit more experience um, and then uh, lo and behold again we've signed a, a few players who had um, a lot of experience um, and the, the, the club then um, probably got a real a real grounding for, for getting victories under the belt because the players that he brought in it came from clubs that it was it was all about winning and winning championships. When you get players like that and your squad, then 
other players need to, to step up to that to that kind of platform where the few when you've got players to have went and won championships they know what's required and, and eventually through the through the season we we started to accrue a lot of points by winning games. I spoke recently to Michael Tidser for the podcast and he described the season playing alongside you and, and Fred has been one of his best ever seasons in football and, and just the fact that he just loved football so much that season. What was it like that season for you at Morton and what was it like playing at Capelo when, when the club were challenging for the league? Well, for me, when I went um, from the from the previous season, I was, I was being deployed as more a kind of forward player with them firmly in the Premier League um, due to the fact that obviously I, I was at a certain age and um, we had more legs in the middle of the park which probably suited me to a tee and because I was playing higher up the park I was always a player who done most of my most of my business in the final thoughts um, having scored over 100 goals um, in my career before I'd went to Mott and um, now when, when I eventually got um, into the group of things at, at Mott um, Alan decided that he, he wanted to play as a sitting holding midfielder which became a bit of a surprise um, because I thought I would probably do more um, for the club uh, in the final third but when I eventually became uh, embroiled in that role and, and getting a real relationship um, with Freddie but especially with Michael as well and I, I must say that for me playing alongside Michael um, was brilliant for myself as well because I loved passing on all the information that I'd gained uh, in my career through playing with various um, senior players. I could understand that Michael coming from Celtic, they had a really good schooling, um, but you could see that they had a vast amount of ability in his left foot. Um, and I just kind of, I used to pass on just wee subtle tips uh, and let them go and play and, and bomb forward for midfield um, uh, and I was just obviously the player who would who would be sitting getting on the ball and, and just obviously tidying things up for the club and I mean don't get me wrong I mean in that year of law I was playing sitting midfield I think I'd, I'd managed to score 10 goals that season um, within the league and the cup so it wasn't, it wasn't due to the fact that I was just sitting in front of the back four not really doing um, anything other than just cleaning up for, for other teams and I totally enjoyed playing with the playing in, uh, in that position and, and especially playing at Capo as you said for me personally it was a wee smaller park um, which suited my my legs at the time I mean I was gradually coming up to to the ripe old age of 37 um, and there was, there was times um, that obviously when, when you're playing in the game you're using your head more than what you are using your legs and, for me, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great season for me personally, but uh, again, it was just um, it was a season where we, we just fell short uh, in the end, the end up in that season. But I think what's more notable, more notable is that the calibre of player that we did have that season right through the spine of the team. When you look at Vukovic, uh, McLaughlin, myself, Tidder, Freddie, uh, Pizzo, Spoonzy, the spine of the team... Um, from Morton that year was, was pretty was pretty good in relation to the ability uh, of the team but most importantly all these players were winners um, and I think that was what stood us in good stead uh, that year 
uh, unfortunately for for the, the club, we just fell short at the end of the season. You mentioned the characters there. In terms of the dressing room, was it a, a really good dressing room because there were so many senior pros within it? Yeah, it was a, it was a good a good dressing room. Um, you would probably say it was probably split up into two age groups, you know what I mean? It was it was obviously kind of with Michael, uh, Craig Reid, uh, Scott Sager, uh, Tony Walsh, Kyle Wilkie, and then you had obviously all the old-timers, um, which we were, we were nicknamed. <laughs> myself, Rikovic, McLaughlin, Pizzo, uh, Spindy. Um, we were obviously that more mature. Um, still like to, still like to do a bit of carry on and all that after, after training. Um, but obviously, when we went into training, I think the, the younger team, the, the, sorry, the younger players that we did have in the squad realised that although we were experienced players, there was still a, still a, a, a way to go and get about the pitch in training and, and put in a performance in training that, that obviously was towards um, getting results in a Saturday. I need to ask you about Spoonsy, obviously Peter Weatherson. He's, he's someone who, grown up for me, was, was just a, an incredible player to watch and somebody that just, to me, as, as, as a fan, seemed to just have so much ability. What was he like to play alongside? And no disrespect to Morton, are you surprised he didn't go and play at a higher level? And uh, um, within that within that year, obviously at, at Morton we had um, Pizzo and Spoonsy uh, and Young Archie at the time. Were probably about, about three strikers. I think the, the best partnership we had at the club was with Spoonsy and uh, Pizzo. Together, um, I think that year probably Pizzo had scored more goals um, that season. I think obviously having played with Pizzo for so long at St Johnson. Um, I knew what he was capable of. It was my first time uh, playing with Spoonsy at the club. Um, you could tell what a, what a threat he was. Um, and we utilised that threat because at times we did we did go and, and we, we would go back to front uh, at times. And, and then you would obviously have Michael, Tidza and we, Freddie, obviously feeding off them to with Pizzo um, in the box as well. So I think it, it gave us a, a different dimension. Um, towards the towards our play as a team um, at Morton as I say he probably should have done um, better in his career um, but I think sometimes when you just go and play for a club you, you realise that it's a club that you don't want to leave and I think that maybe it's been the being at the club for, for so long How gutting was it especially after that night at Fur Hill where where the club ultimately ends up in defeat. That seemed like me, to be honest, the, the, the game where I pinpoint looking back, just that was it, over. Obviously, I mean, there was a lot made of the, the, the game within itself that, um, that night. Um, at the time, um, my good friend Alan Archibald had taken over uh, Partick Thistle at that time. They had a, they had a very young squad, full of, full of legs, full of energy. We had a We'd a squad who were knowledgeable and experienced. Um, and at the time, obviously, we thought um, if, we, if we can manage to get something through the game, um, it, would be, it would be good for us because there were still four games, I think it was, left of the season. Um, there was a slight tactical change in the play that um, saw Freddie come into the middle of the park. Myself, uh, 
it wide to the to the right hand side to, to try and combat uh, Aaron Taylor Finkel getting up um, from the aerial threat of that um, it didn't work um, we managed to change it at half time um, and then obviously as we as we know we, we never got anything from, from the game but um, looking back on it it was a fantastic season um, I think it's probably um, when you look at the crowd that night it, the more support took to for how it was it's a crowd that I don't think I've, I've probably seen in any game that I've actually been to Capolo where there have been so many Morton fans there um, and again it's it's something that it's just unfortunate for for the club that we just fell, fell short at the final hurdle After that season you leave Morton and you finish your career at Airdrie when you went back to Airdrie was it a lot tougher for you in terms of your body, considering your age and the injuries you'd had? I think that was um, first and foremost uh, at the time when uh, I got released from Morton. I was pretty shocked, um, having spoken to Alan Moore throughout the season um, in relation to um, wanting to bring through younger players, and we needed. Um, Got like experienced players to obviously nurture these players. I thought that's something that I could have done within the club, um, probably still as a player and on a coaching capacity. Um, but it, it wasn't to be. And then when I eventually go to to Airdrie, you're taking a, a step down um, down the ladder, um, returning to part time football, um, probably harder to adjust to that than it was the first time that I stepped from part-time to full-time. Um, bear in mind that I was now, I think I'd just turned, well, I was over 37, um, looking forward to to probably um, my last season in football. And I think um, that's that's what it proved. Um, playing on an Ashtoth Park every week, um, the injuries that I did have um, and training on it Monday, Thursday wasn't doing myself any any justice, um, and then and then uh, it then became uh, unsustainable for me to prolong that. Was calling time in your career was it a difficult thing? Because I've spoken to a few players and they've said that the most frustrating thing is. When you know what you want to do upstairs, but your your body just can't keep up for whatever reason. I think that's. I, I would probably go as far to say that that would be a hundred percent spot on. You've still got the technical ability. You've still got uh, the knowledge. You've still got obviously uh, the speed of thought in your brain. It's just obviously, um, as I say, thirty-seven and a half. I'm playing against players who are twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. 23, 24 young players um, trying to make their way into the game and, and obviously um, it, it, as it's probably the one thing that you do you do start to realise that and, and I will say that for me personally um, when I did play in the Arsenal Park it did hinder me but when I played on grass parks it wasn't so much a hindrance because I would use my knowledge of the game to get myself through it, but when you were playing on the Arsenal part for me, it would take me three or four days to recover for the Saturday game, um, which obviously, again, is, is due to age. And, uh, 
his knee injury slightly curtailed the career that he had because he missed it through operation mm-hmm. trying to get himself back fit. Um, so I would have, I would have probably loved to have said I would have, um, I would have loved to have seen Pizzo, um As I say, he wasn't he wasn't a player who he was underrated. It's just that he, he would have probably been a, a far far better player than the far really really good player that he was um, due to his knee injuries. The most inspirational captain? Um, the captains I played with, um, played with some unbelievable captains. Uh, if I go through them, probably from my partner time at Parkett Thistle, Danny Lennon, um, Kilmarnock, Gary Locke, uh, Airdrie, with Alan McManus, um, then at St Johnson. With like Kevin James, uh, with Derek McInnes also, um, Kevin Rukovic eventually lifted the the championship that year. At Dunfermline, we had Austin McCann, um, but I would probably go as far to say that like Kevin James loved being the captain of his football team. He thrived on being the captain. He was a he was a leader on the pitch. Um, he just loved wearing that that armband, and he used to get the best out of players. Even though I must say, um, and I make uh, I make no apologies that Big Kev was a defender, and he loved defending. Um, but first and foremost, he he he, he took the the captain's armband and um, we played when he played for, for the, probably every club that he played for. What would you say has been your favourite goal from your career? Say that again, please, Callum. Um, what would you say has been the favourite goal you've scored in your career? Uh, favourite goal? I mean, I was fortunate. Um, I was fortunate throughout my career that I managed to score over 100 goals for midfield. Uh, I've got a few favourites in, my, in my, my time as a player. With different clubs, um, Partick Thistle, um, St Johnson had scored memorable goals with them. Um, in fact, I'd actually scored with every club that I played for. Um, and I think probably the best goal that I scored was for Dunfermline in the, the Premier League uh, against Inverness, a free kick, um, which was on Alba at the time. Um, and it's not actually the free kick that I scored which more or less won his um, promotion up to the SPL, but it was a, a free kick I scored against uh, and the last for about 35 yards out. Um, I'd probably say that's the best goal that I've, I've scored, but um, ultimately not the most important. I've got The last question I've got for you is, based on the career you've had, you've won multiple league titles, you've won trophies, you've played under some great managers, some great teammates... What advice would you give to any young player making their way in the game now based on your experiences in football? I think any any, uh, any kind of information that you're, you're wanting to pass to any any young player um, that's trying to make their way into the game is work extremely hard every day in training. Give it your all. Um, You'll go through uh, some tough times, try to get where you want to be. There'll be a few knockbacks, 
Uh, you've just got to build it. You've got to regroup, and you must continue in, in the pathway that you want to, to try and explore for yourself because if any young player, whether they are 17 in their first uh, year as a pro in an academy, so when you eventually, if you make a career out of it and you get to the right old age of 37, it will be the best years of your, uh, your short um, your early days of your career, sorry, it'll be the best days of your life. And for if you manage to get 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and there's nothing that you can, there's nothing that you can say when you eventually hang up the boots to say that uh, you thoroughly enjoyed your time as a professional footballer. And because there will be highs, hopefully a lot of highs, but there'll also be some lows as well. But it's, again, it's part and parcel of being um, a footballer and also trying to become a first-team regular. Martin, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining me in the podcast. No problem at all, Calm. Thanks for your time. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep-sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make her home in a deep sea cave And her shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, 